Abraham. After the development of the human race and their spread across the world after the incident at Babel, there's no doubt that idolatry became more and more prevalent amongst them. And therefore, another divine intervention, given the lack of impact which the previous ones had had, was therefore needed. And therefore, about the year 2000, God set apart one particular family from the chosen people. And this family was to be the recipient of his special favours, and from them, the Messiah, who had already been promised in the very beginning, after the fall of Adam and Eve, was to come from them. Not only does history, properly speaking, that's to say, events in human life which can be calculated according to the order of time, begin with Abraham. As we've already said, he, uh, he was born around about the year 2000 before our blessed Lord. Also, he is the starting point or the source of the Old Testament religion. From the days of Abraham, men were wont to speak of God as the God of Abraham. And later, of his, uh, of his progeny, of Isaac and of Jacob. God associates himself with this one family, and this one family henceforth becomes associated with him. This family was the family of Tari, and he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is in the southern part of Mesopotamia. He had three sons, Abram, Nacor, and Aaron, the father who was uh, of Lot. This city of Ur was one of the great cities of civilization at that time and it was a center of idolatry there the people worshipped the sun and the moon and the other planets and this religion seems to have been followed on the whole by Tari himself he moved from Ur to Haran and the land of Canaan and the real reason for his move appears to be that he had forsaken the ceremonies of his fathers, but, which consisted in the worship of many gods, and he decided that he and his family would henceforth worship the God of heaven, who commanded them to depart from hence and to dwell in Haran, as we are told in the book of Judith. St. Paul adds the significant words that he went out not knowing whether he was going showing already a faith, a faith in divine providence and a faith in following the ways of God wherever he should be laid. While in Haran, God revealed to Adam that he should go forth out of his country and out of his kindred, and out of his father's house, and come into the land which I shall show thee. 
Abraham therefore appears to us as a man with a specific vocation. A vocation whereby God had a use for him and promised to make him a great people all on account of, the, of a blind act of obedience. He was therefore called to be detached in embracing his country, this new vocation. Leave thy country, thy kinspeople, and thy fathers, and to persevere in that vocation. Come away into the land which I shall show thee. And faith to believe that really and truly God would make a great people of him as he had promised. The life of Abraham shows the unfolding of this promise. It's a very long and a complicated a story. And therefore we've got to really reduce it to the bare essentials. As we've already said, Abraham was the son of Tari, and he had two other brothers. He married Sarai. Tari took Abraham and his wife Sarai and Lot, the son of Aaron, and leaving Ur of the Chaldees, came to Haran and dwelt there until he died. Then, at the call of God, which we have just considered, Abraham with his wife Sarai and Lot and the rest of his belongings went into the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan which is now present-day Israel. And amongst other places he went to Sichem and to Bethel, where he built altars to the Lord his God. A famine, however, breaking out in Canaan, Abraham journeyed southwards towards Egypt. And when he entered into the land of Egypt, he feared that he would be killed on account of his wife Sarai. And therefore he bade her to say that he was his sister, she was his sister. As expected, the report of Sarai's beauty was brought to the Pharaoh, and he took her into his harem and honoured Abraham on account of her, believing that he was her brother. Later, however, being afflicted by God and finding out that he was Abraham's wife, he sent her away unharmed, and upbraiding Abraham for what he had done, he dismissed him from Egypt, but gave him many presents. From Egypt, Abraham came with Lot towards Bethel, and there they found that their herds and their flocks had grown to be so large that Abraham proposed that they should separate and go their ways. So Lot chose the country about the Jordan, and Abraham dwelt in Canaan, and came and dwelt in the Vale of Mambri in Hebron. We see here the indifference and the detachment which Abraham showed. Even although Almighty God had promised him this land of Canaan, he allows Lot to make the choice of where he will go. And Lot naturally chooses the better parts of the country, the rich, lush pastures near the Jordan and near the beautiful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, whereas Abraham takes for himself the uplands, less suitable 
for the rearing of the flocks. And here we can see how when we do not put ourselves first, when we accept God's divine providence, all turns out well for us. As we'll see later that Lot, having chosen the better part, he was faced, uh, and ca- faced with and caught up in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was to take place later. Now, on an account of a revolt of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and other kings from Kodlahemor, the king of Elam, whom they had served for twelve years, in the fourteenth year he made war upon them. And, Abra- and Lot was caught up in this war between the king of Sodom and the other kings of uh, the Elamites and their associated allies. The king of Elam was victorious and took away the spoils of Sodom and with him Lot and his belongings and his family. Abraham, upon hearing this news, gathered together uh, a small group of men and with 300 men he pursued pursued, uh, the king of the Elamites and attacked and defeated them and liberated Lot with many spoils and returned in triumph. And on his way home he was met by Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who brought forth bread and wine and blessed him. And Abraham gave him tithes of all he had, but for himself he reserved nothing. This is a very fascinating incident, this incident of Melchizedek. Because he is seen as a figure of our blessed Lord. St. Paul has to say, a long time later, 2,000 years later in his epistle to the Hebrews, that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. We know nothing about him without father, without mother, without genealogy. His name means Melchizedek, the king of justice. The city over which he ruled, Salem, is the city of peace and has become identified with the city of Jerusalem, which was to have such an important place in the history of the Old Testament and which is a symbol of heaven, the ultimate city of peace. He is likened, therefore, to our blessed Lord, being a priest forever according to this order, the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, the silence of Scripture over the facts of Melchizedek's birth and death was all a part of the divine plan to make him prefigure most strikingly the mysteries of Christ's generation and the eternity of his priesthood. Abraham the patriarch and the father of the nations, paid tithes to Melchizedek and received his blessing. After this episode, God once again promises Abraham that his seed shall be as the stars of heaven and that he shall possess the land of Canaan. But Abraham does not see how this is to be, for he has already grown old. Then the promise is guaranteed by a sacrifice between God and Abraham 
and by a vision of a supernatural intervention in the night. Sarai, who was thus far advanced in years that she had given up the idea of ever bearing children, persuaded Abraham to take to himself her, faithful, her handmaid Agar. And this he does, and Agar, being with child, brings forth a son, Ishmael, and despises the barren Sarai. For this Sarai fricks her, so that she flies into the desert, but is persuaded to return by an angel who comforts her with promises of the greatness of the son she is to bear. She returns and brings forth Ishmael. Thirteen years later, God appears to Abraham and promises him a son by Sarai, and that his posterity will be a great nation. As a sign, he changes Abraham's name from Abraham to Abraham, and Sarai to Sarah, and he ordains the rite of circumcision. One day later, as Abraham is sitting by his tent in the Vale of Mambri, God, with two angels, appears to him in human form. Abraham shows them hospitality. Then again, the promise of a son named Isaac is renewed to Abraham. The aged Sarah incredulously hears this and laughs. This incident is recorded in the Bible being of such great consequence for the work of salvation that Abraham's progeny should in fact have come about as God willed and as he had promised in the following terms. When the angels, who had been given hospitality by Abraham, had eaten, they said to him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he answered, Lo, she is in the tent. And he said to him, I will return and come to thee at this time, life accompanying, and Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Which when Sarah heard, she laughed behind the door of the tent. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I who am an old woman, bear a child indeed. Is there anything hard to God? According to appointment, I will return to thee at the same time, life accompanying, and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But the Lord said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Can we be surprised at the incredulity of Sarah, given the fact that she was already 90 years old and Abraham 100 years old? However, all things being possible to Almighty God, we are told later that the Lord visited Sarah, as he had promised, and fulfilled what he had spoken. And she conceived and bore a child in her own old age, at the time that God had foretold her, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Sarah bore him Isaac, which means laughter. And he circumcised him the eighth day, as God had commanded him. The three angels, having announced the birth of Isaac, continue on their journey. And the Bible tells us that when the men rose up from hence, they turned their eyes towards Sodom. And Abraham walked with them, bringing them on the way.
And the Lord said, Can I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing he shall become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. For I know that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord and do judgment and justice, that for Abraham's sake the Lord may bring to effect all the things that he has spoken unto him. And the Lord said, The cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is multiplied, and their sin has become exceedingly grievous. I will go down and see whether they have done according to the cry that has come to me, or whether it may not be so, that I may know. And they turned themselves from thence and went their way to Sodom. But Abraham as yet stood before the Lord. And drawing nigh, he said, Wilt thou destroy the just with the wicked? If there be fifty just men in the city, shall they perish withal? And wilt thou not spare that place for the sake of fifty just, if they be found therein? Far be it from thee to do this thing, and to slay the just with the wicked. And for the just to be in like case as the wicked. This is not beseeming thee, thou who just judgest all the earth, will not make this judgment. And the Lord said to him, If I find in Sodom fifty just within the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Seeing I have once begun, I will speak to my Lord, whereas I am but dust and ashes. What if there be five less than fifty just persons? Wilt thou for five and forty destroy the whole city? And he said, I will not destroy it, if I find five and forty. And again he said to him, But if forty be found there, what wilt thou do? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of forty. Lord, saith he, be not angry, I beseech thee if I speak. What if thirty shall be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Seeing, saith he, I have once begun, I will speak to my Lord. What if twenty be found there? He saith, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. I beseech thee, saith thee, be not angry, Lord, if I speak yet once again. What if ten should be found there? And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. And the Lord departed after he had left speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, sadly, of course, we learn that the uh, ten just men were not found in the city and it was completely and utterly destroyed by fire and brimstone because of its great sins. Thereafter follows a description of the destruction of the two cities and the escape of Lot, Abraham's brother. And the next morning Abraham looked from his tent towards Sodom and saw the smoke of destruction ascending to heaven. After this Abraham went south to Gerara and again fearing for his life he said of his wife, She is my sister. And the king of Gerara, Abimelech, sends and takes her. But learning in a dream that she is Abraham's wife, he restores her to him untouched and rebukes him and gives him gifts. 
In her old age, as we have already seen, at 90 years of age, she bore Isaac to Abraham, and he is circumcised on the third day. While he is still young, however, Sarah becomes jealous of her handmaid, Agar, seeing Ishmael, the son of Agar, playing with the child Isaac. And so she procures from Abraham that Agar and her son should be cast out into the wilderness. Then Agar would have allowed Ishmael to perish in the wilderness had not an angel encouraged her by telling her of the boy's future. In this incident, we can see how the firstborn of Abraham being cast out and the child of the promised being the second child, Isaac. In this, St. Paul sees a figure of the Old Testament and the New, that Agar and her son Ishmael are the uh, symbols of the Old Testament religion, which was to be unfaithful and would be cast out. And in Isaac, in whom all the nations of the world were to be blessed, a symbol of Christ and of Christianity. After all of these things, Abraham is faced with his greatest trial. God commands him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. As the Bible describes the event, After these things God tempted Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he answered, Here am I. He said to him, Take thy only begotten son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go into the land of vision, and there thou shalt offer him for a holocaust upon one of the mountains which I shall show thee. So Abraham, rising up in the night, saddled his ass, and took with him two young men, and Isaac his son. And when he had cut wood for the holocaust, and went his way to the place which God had commanded him, and on the third day, lifting up his eyes, he saw the place afar off. And he said to his young men, Stay you here with the ass. I and the boy will go with speed as far as yonder. And after we have worshipped, we will return to you. And he took the wood for the holocaust and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he himself carried it in his hands, fire and a sword. And as they two went on together, Isaac said to his father, My father. And he answered, What wilt thou, son? Behold, said he, fire and wood. Where is the victim for the holocaust? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a victim for the holocaust, my son. So they went on together, and they came to the place which God had shown him, where he built an altar and laid the wood in order upon it. And when he had bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the pile of wood, 
and he put forth his hand and took the sword to sacrifice his son. And behold, an angel of the Lord from heaven called to him, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he answered, Here I am. And he said to him, Lay not thy hand upon the boy, neither do thou anything to him. For I know that thou fearest God, and hast not spared thine only begotten son for my sake. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw behind his back a ram amongst the briars, sticking fast by the horns, which he took and offered for a holocaust instead of his son. And he called the name of that place, The Lord Seeth. Thereupon, even to this day it is said, In the mountain, the Lord will see. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, saying, By my own self have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing, and hast not spared thy only begotten son for my sake, I will bless thee, and I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is by the seashore. Thy seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Abraham is indeed the great example of obedience and of faith. How he left indeed his father's house and went forth into the land which God should show him. God promised him that he and his descendants would possess the land. But in reality, Abraham himself never did possess the land, having only perched a small place of it suitable for his burial. The promise was not to be fulfilled in his lifetime, but much, much later, in the time of Moses. Again, we see how the faith of Abraham strong and brought to perfection in the end, was not without its weaknesses either. How when there was a famine in the land, he did not trust to God's providence, but rather went to Egypt. And there in Egypt was fearful that God would not protect him. That he failed in suggesting to Sarah that she should pretend to be his sister rather than his wife. Yet God did not abandon him in spite of all of these weaknesses. He believed that he would be the father of many nations, but he tried to bring it forward by taking the handmaid of Sarah, as she had suggested, and having the child Isaac, thinking that in this way he could bring about what Almighty God had promised. But we cannot force the hand of God. And rather we must wait for his divine providence to unfold itself. Which of course did take place in spite of all the expectation that perhaps the promise had failed or was exceedingly late in coming as it proved to be. When Sarah was already 90 years old and Abraham 100. Nevertheless the promise once being fulfilled... Abraham yet 
was to be put to his greatest taste. He could have believed that all had come to nothing, that God had rescinded the promise when he asked him to sacrifice Isaac on whom all of the hopes of the promise rested. But Abraham by this time no longer hesitated that he immediately accepted the command of God and in spirit really did sacrifice his only begotten son. Only the intervention of Almighty God prevented the literal shedding of the blood, but Abraham really sacrificed all in his heart. This is the great spirit of detachment which God requires from us all. And as our blessed Lord has said later, he who loves father, mother, brothers and sisters more than me is not worthy of me. God's love is one. Our love for each other, either the nearest and dearest to us, is part of the love of Almighty God. There can be no contradiction between the two. God alone is love and all true love is part of his love. We must love our neighbour in God. We must sacrifice all of the selfish aspects which inevitably a human love becomes tainted with. We must love all that we love most dearly, ultimately for God rather than for ourselves.